Hi friends and welcome back to Shit That Scares Me. I'm your host Teresa and I am scared of some shit. Ghosts and hauntings, vampires, monsters, terrorists, student loans. To me, it's all scary. So grab a drink, a snack, and your fluffiest safety blanket and get cozy while I talk about some scary shit. So today we're going to talk about something that I have actually been really, I think, hyper aware of most of my life because of my history and I'm just an anxious, paranoid person anyway. So I was always worried about like if I had to go on painkillers or whatever, like I would not really take that because I'm so worried about getting addicted like alcohol addiction runs rampant in my family. So um, that is something that actually really scares me. It's the idea of becoming an addict. And actually, before I met you, um, being in a relationship with an addict. So that's what we're going to talk about today is addiction. So uh, everybody meet Rory. Rory meet the five people that probably still listen to the show. Hello, everyone. And full disclosure, Rory and I are in a relationship. Uh, I met him... When I moved to Memphis, uh, Rory is a native of Memphis and has been kind enough to show me his city. It's been fun. And I have enjoyed our time together, but I, I'm really interested in um, talking more about your experience with addiction and like how you've managed to overcome it. So I have a whole list of questions that I'm going to ask you. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah, shoot. Okay. So... Can you first tell us like what what your addiction is, what you're addicted to? Uh, of course, I know this already. But... Yeah, so um, my uh, my vice was alcohol. Honestly, though, I had um, priorly abused other substances. So, so, I mean, honestly, you know, as far back as I can remember, uh, as soon as I knew you could get high off of drinking um, cough syrup that would be prescribed to me as a kid. It had, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, it's a some sort of opioid. It was seven, but I remember I really liked that sensation of it. Really? Yeah. This is okay. This is something I didn't know. Like how old, like, are you talking about like the coding? Coding. Yeah. Cough yeah. Coding cough syrup. Um, so yeah, I had chronic sinus infections and bronchitis when I was a kid. Mm. So I would get sick a lot. And the only thing that would really work was this coating cough syrup. And I remember, you know, being little and liking the, the feeling of being kind of dopey. And, you know, one of the things, one of the reasons I liked that was because I, as far back as I can really remember, had issues with depression, even as a child. So it, it, it made me feel good. And I, I really, you know, obviously enjoyed it. But um, later, what happened was when I was a teen, I started kind of getting into drinking a little bit, starting out family functions and then kind of on the weekends sometimes with cousins. And then my uh, friends and I started getting into drinking when we would hang out. And, you know, we were crazy kids, bored. There wasn't really a whole lot for teenagers to do in Memphis at that time, at least not what we knew of. And yeah, we would usually find an adult, get a bottle and drink. And uh, that's, that's kind of how, you know, I developed a taste for alcohol. And then when I got older, when I was in uh, starting college, life kind of difficult in the sense that financially I was struggling. I had moved out with my girlfriend at the time and she and I weren't exactly getting along Um, my dad was uh just got a cancer diagnosis and we had found out he had two heart attacks that we didn't know about wow yeah yeah it was real i mean that's the thing you know you think heart attack you think like oh grab the chest he's gonna be no it it just it was almost like a flu or something uh so your dad had had two heart attacks and a cancer diagnosis and that just came down like all at once yeah and i was struggling um in college because essentially I had to go to private school because I have dyslexia and my mother was told when I was in third grade that if I remained in public school, I would not get the proper education. So 
I had to go to private schools and the school I graduated from just did not prepare us for college. And, you know, I, regardless of that, went to U of M and was struggling with that. So yeah, it was sort of like the whole world falling in on you in a way. And I found that, you know, I also have a lot of what my dad has and he has a lot of psychological issues with uh, obsessive thinking and depression. So, and I wasn't medicated at the time. I just knew for the longest time I felt terrible. Uh, and I didn't know why I thought something was wrong with me. Um, that I was just, just weird. And yeah, so I resorted to, instead of drinking on the weekends with friends and really just kind of binge drinking, I started drinking every day and it started out with, you know, Oh, well, I'm going to take five shots tonight, you know, and that after a while, a very short while turned into, okay, well, I'm going to drink a pint a night. I'm going to drink a pint of vodka a night. And then that turned into pint and a half and so forth and so on. And, you know, at the end of my, my drinking, which, you know, that was the pattern for 15 years was was that and this you know eventually like i said it turned into i was averaging about a fifth of vodka at night yeah that's a lot of vodka <laughs> yeah yeah and not just like over the course of several hours i would drink all that within about an hour and a half on average that would kill me it was insane yeah so you're what 20 years old you're struggling in college. Your dad has cancer and heart attacks. You're struggling with your relationship. You're struggling with mental illness. And you just self-hate. Yes. And, and I think that's what, um, you know, something I've noticed a lot in recovery is that a lot of people get addicted because they are self-medicating because what they're trying to do is they're trying to blunt the pain they feel. Um because addiction and mental illness go hand in hand a lot. And if someone cannot get access to the things they need to help themselves, they will resort to self-medication. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that I'm planning to talk about eventually on an episode is, uh, yeah, I spent some time in a mental health facility and at the time I didn't really understand why they would include, uh, people with, substance abuse issues in the same ward as people with mental health issues of course now uh with the benefit of experience and uh, perspective I, I understand that but it's it's so closely tied together that i think people don't really understand how these addictions develop because you don't have adequate support or adequate care for your mental health yeah, I mean, unfortunately, you know, it's it's not easy to get care in at least this state that, that I'm that I know of. I mean, my experience with mental health field has been, you know, I could get put up with a counselor, which you know, it's great being able to talk to somebody, but really, I need personally, I feel I needed to be in to see a psychiatrist yeah. because I needed medication. I mean, without you know, and and it's not for everybody, uh, but antidepressants work for me. Um, it's something I have experiment experimented with and done enough to know that's what I need. And uh, you know, as as you know, I'm also California sober, as they say. Um, look that up if you don't know what it is. It's it's really a sad thing to see people, um, as you know, just in the city. I mean, last night we saw a gentleman who was clearly good yeah. who yeah. was in crisis and that's it's it's sad because you know this is a human being who should be allowed to get the access to his medication and unfortunately at least the case in this city is they get held on a like a 70 some odd ass like 72 73 hour psych hold they maybe get their medication for just a little bit and then they can't get it because they can't afford it yeah and that's something that I have noticed in the city more than um, really anybody or anywhere else I've ever been, or at least anywhere else I've been that I've noticed. There's a lot of homeless people that are very clearly um, mentally ill in some way because they're 
yelling at light poles or throwing things at at bushes or like i mean there's just we've seen so many examples yeah and it's something i've seen my entire life living here um growing up uh my dad as you know had a guitar shop in downtown Memphis for 13 years and yeah it was a common sight to see was was you know very mentally ill people just on the streets uh not getting the help they need and it's it's really sad but yeah so that is why i think you have a lot of addiction issues with people because you're gonna do what you have to do to not be in that pain i mean if you have an arrow through your shoulder and the doctor won't take it out you're gonna do it yourself i mean you know it's it's just an inevitability it's it's white knuckling it until you crack i mean everybody has a breaking point you're in that pain yeah yeah uh when did you realize that you had an addiction and i mean like so i asked this question fully understanding that when you're in the throes of addiction you you lie to yourself you lie to everybody around you 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 know deny 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 but was there a point where you looked at your life and you looked at what you were doing every day and you really understood the chip. Yeah, um, I think, oh, let me think. Um, probably, probably about maybe seven, eight years into my addiction, I think I started having moments of clarity. Um, when I was drunk, because I used to say out loud to myself when I would be really, really drunk, like, you're, you're a fucking alcoholic. You know that, right? Like, that was something I would say internally or out loud. And I knew it. I knew there was a problem. But the next day, you know, I'd wake up and I'd make excuses of like, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to drink that much and I won't do this. And, you know, the thing of it is, is you could tell yourself that and you may not, you may actually, quote, behave yourself um for a while but inevitably you're going to screw up again if you break and that's what would happen it turned into in the end it wasn't like oh i'm drinking a fifth a night i'm waking up hungover it's like oh i started drinking a fifth on a monday and it's thursday and i have no recollection of what happened between then and now for days yeah holy shit yeah because you i mean when you're drinking liquor like that i mean you don't ever come down and then that's when, uh, after the bender, you know, I would get the, what they call the DTs, which is like a flu-like experience. It's, it's miserable. Yeah, you've, you've explained that to me. It sounds fucking terrible. Um, and do you happen to know, is your experience with the DTs common or are there like other symptoms? Like you've explained it to me, like the flu. Um, were you like, like physically ill or was it just like the sweats and the chills and the shakes and it's the sweats the chills the shakes it's physical illness i mean it's you have no energy whatsoever i mean it's you're going through it's like you've been poisoned it's the only way i can describe it wow okay so did your addiction have an impact on your relationships with like your parents, your other family members, your friends. I know that uh, you said that you would go long periods of time without speaking to your friends. And you have a, a lovely, lovely group of friends who are like your brothers. And I love those dudes and their wives. I know you said you, you would go long periods of time without talking to them or seeing them. Was that the only impact that it had on your relationships with them? No. No, I think because the, the problem was to uh, one of the things with, with my drinking was um, I'm an insomniac, so I have to take sleeping medication, um, prescribed sleeping medication, sleep, and I would drink and take the sleeping medication. Uh, and I was, you know, I had this obsessive thing about having a schedule of when I had to get fucked up. So, for example, like regardless of what time it was and who was over at the house, if it got to be six or seven o'clock, I was taking my Ambien and I was drinking. And 
I, a lot of the times would have my friends, like we would go months without seeing each other and they would you know come over and I would do this and I'm belligerent and I pass out, you know, in a couple hours after taking a handy. So, yeah, you know, I mean, I was, I was, obviously that's a dickhead move. Um, and yeah, you know, I think that it, it definitely impacted my friends. They didn't know what was going on. And, um, I was, that's, that's the thing with addiction is you get really, really good at hiding it. You become a master at deception. And that's, that's what it was you know i'd always pass it off as oh well i have my allergies are acting up and oh i just ate something funky last night whatever but yeah i would blow off plants constantly and you know as far as uh, my romantic relationship i mean it it definitely had its impact on that albeit that that was not panning out great anyway i mean i did it was part and the reason I started drinking was I was in a failing long-term relationship that, you know, I thought I'd make it better by getting married. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you're not the first person to make that mistake. And I'm sure that you won't be the last. Yeah. Um, and something, you know, that's a little less talked about with addiction, um, drinking and substance abuse period is it affects your frontal cortex, which is your decision-making and your, your logic and reason part of your brain. So it literally does impede your thinking. So the fact that it's called, you compare it to mental illness is not too far off because you're not operating with a full deck. Your brain is like pickled in alcohol or whatever substance. What about your parents? Did it, I know uh, your parents didn't really know the extent um, the problem, but how did it impact your I think it impacted them a lot. I think they always knew there was a problem that I, I drank too much, but I, they had no idea to the extent it definitely caused issues because one of the things I would do is I would take, uh, my sleeping medication and I, when I would drink and I would abuse it, I would get drunk and I would take more of it. So I'd run out, this is a controlled substance. So I'd run out um, early and then you know there were times I would take my dad's portion of it because it was so expensive we had to split the prescription at the time and yeah I mean it it definitely that was a huge huge problem we got into tons and tons of fights over that and and just being deceptive you know I mean I was raised to to, to not lie to not be dishonest. And I went against everything I was taught as a child when I became an addict. And, you know, you start making, you start rationalizing this stuff like, well, I have to have it. So I have to say this. Well, you know, and, and yeah, I mean, I think it definitely did a lot of damage in that sense. So what was, the turning point for you in your addiction? Like, what was your rock bottom where you, where you were like, that's it, I need to get clean, I need to stop doing this to myself? Well, um, I had several rock bottoms, but the one that did it uh, finally was, I was, I had, basically my ex and I had decided, you know, we weren't working, it's time to get a divorce. You know, it's just not going to work. You know, she wanted different things and I was a mess and I had to move back in with my parents. And the problem was I, when I was with my ex, had basically resigned myself to the fact I was going to kill myself. About that. I felt that, you know, at the time, the best thing I could do, I could try to do is live long enough to outlive my parents and take care of them. And then after they died. It didn't matter if I drank myself to death because I was just miserable. I was, you know, in a very combative situation with the ex, uh, very loveless. Um, we were just done with each other. And when I ended up getting, you know, I had to move back in with my folks because my ex got the house. I had this problem. I had this, this addiction. And I lied to myself at first. I'm like, oh, well, I can just stop. 
well, you know, when you've been drinking that long and that much, it's, you don't just stop. Yeah. You know, um, there's no cold turkey at that point. No, no. And I, I mean, to be fair, I did go a little bit. It wasn't long. You like know. days or weeks? I think maybe almost a month. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, and then what happened was, but see, here's the other thing. And I didn't drink, but I was doing other stuff because my dad had some oxys up in the cabinet. So I'm taking like three Ambien plus some Oxycontin. So I'm I'm getting fucked up in a different way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you know I ended up where I was short for I think I had to go like almost two months without my sleeping pills because you were fucked up. So I'd bad. fucked up so bad, yeah. Um, and that's when I started uh getting mouthwash to drink because i knew there was alcohol in mouthwash I, there was a way some teens i knew used to get fucked up because they would bring that oh that's so gross every, that time you talk, every time you talk to me about this i'm like oh because i have in the past swallowed you know a couple of drops of mouthwash accidentally and wanted to just projectile vomit everywhere so i i cannot imagine drinking enough mouthwash especially what were you on the green listerine <laughs> yeah i i that was that was my my uh that was the most tolerable one i found was the green listerine which is hilarious because it's foul yeah yeah um but i did that for hell i mean over a year whoa okay i didn't realize that was that long yeah it was a really long time and you know that's that's the thing that was is i knew I was in deep shit. I, I knew I couldn't stop. When I started, because the mouthwash, you know, I told myself before, I was like, I'm just going to do this once. And well, don't no, you You know, you're going to keep doing it. And I mean, there were trash bags full of mouthwash bottles. Like, how many and, bottles of mouthwash would you drink a day? I, in the end, I could go through most of the big ones. Holy shit. Yeah. But um, I'm sorry, I got a little side there. Um, no, what what was the rock bottom? The absolute rock bottom was I overdosed on mouthwash, which is a thing I I didn't know existed until that year. Yeah, yeah, I poisoned myself, and I again, it was one of those. I think I started on Sunday. It was a Sunday night. I woke up on my parents' bed that Tuesday and there were two cops in the house. I was out of it. Uh, the paramedics were on the way and they took me to the hospital and put me in the suicide ward for two days. Okay, so this is a story that I've not heard yet. So between Sunday night and Tuesday, yeah. I don't remember what happened. I have no memory whatsoever of it. Okay. I, I remember that the night drinking the mouthwash, because um, I was excited. I was excited because I got two big bottles, oh. and uh, I was like, "This is going to last me a while." And you know, I yeah, apparently I drank almost. I mean, my parents called poison control when they found out what what I had done. And, so were they home the whole time? I mean, other than your mom going to work. Uh, apparently, they were made aware of the, it when I later that night I was drinking. So Sunday night through Monday through Monday night, they knew I was like messed up. And when I was still messed up Tuesday, that was when they were like, "We're calling the paramedics," and because I wouldn't tell what I'd done. That was of course not. So yeah, I mean that was it was terrible. I mean I spent two days in uh, the psych ward uh, at the hospital, and you know I couldn't remember anything. I knew I fucked up, um, but it was really just when I started to sober up in the hospital. It was like, wow, you know, like this is one of those crossroads of I can do this and kill myself because that was the thing. Like once I got away 
from the situation I was in with my ex and just out of the house that we were in, I didn't want to die anymore from alcohol. But I knew I was an alcoholic and I couldn't stop. So that's a, that's a predicament to fucking be in. But that being in that room, which there was no windows, there was no TV. It was just, you could turn the light on and off. But I mainly stayed in the dark and I was detoxing. And I just remember thinking, I am just fucking done with this. Like, I can't do this. And, uh, you know, it was, it was rough. I mean, but once I got, I got out of the hospital, I started looking into recovery. And, you know, I tried the AA path that it wasn't, it works for some people, but it wasn't for me. And then that's when I discovered the, what I'm in now, the smart recovery. While you were in the hospital, did anybody talk to you about recovery programs or options or resources or anything like that? Not really. I mean, the nurse was an addict herself, so she was able to kind of give some encouraging words. But no, there was no assistance or anything for for addiction that I recall. My dad having been in the guitar business for so long, he knew some people and obviously, you know, with musicians, addiction is is a thing. And so, you know, he had, he knew some, some sources. So is that how you first started going to AA? Yeah, that's, that's how I first started going, um, was, uh, I found out there was a ton of meetings all over town. So I started going to this meeting called the Great Awakening, which is, you know, really nice people. But my issue with AA is it's really Christian centric and that's fine. But I took issue with it when they started what I felt was attacking people who did not believe as they did. Yeah. Yeah. And I haven't talked about this really much yet, but Rory and I are both uh, different varieties of pagan he leans more uh atheist i'm more agnostic but both you know very much identify with pagan ideologies so being in a a group that is very focused on the Abrahamic traditions christian traditions i imagine would be very difficult for you yeah um you know and it's not it's not anything I, i don't have a problem with people talking about the god of the bible or jesus and all that it's, it's the issue came where they were literally calling out atheists and agnostics. That was the problem I had. And, and it was this, I felt really very intolerant, I felt. So what I actually did was I gave it a couple chances. And after being very offended twice in a row, um, I was just done with it. And I was like, all right, well, this isn't working for me. So what else is out there? And thankfully, I found SMART, Self-Management and Recovery Training, um, is the acronym of SMART. And it's more based in psychology. It's more based on studies like scientific evidence to prove this stuff works. It's like behavioral training. So it's being very self-aware about your thinking. It's getting the ability to stop before you act. Because a lot of people, one of the ways they um, either have a slip or they relapse is getting in a situation in which they panic and they just fall back on old behavior. Yeah. You've mentioned that. Smart is smart a secular group? How does it differ from AA? Okay, so smart is very divorced from religion. Um we do have people of all kinds of faiths or lack of. So it's not it's not something that's mentioned. Okay. So it's more friendly to people like us. It's more friendly to people who, I mean, there was even a gentleman uh, who was a Satanist, a card carrying member of the church of Satan. So it's more for people who feel they don't fit into AA. However, we have people who do both. Yeah. Who find benefit in both because smart, instead of attributing your, sobriety to the god of the bible it's more about inner strength you didn't know you have and how you overcame these obstacles so what are the possibilities now that you know you're capable of what, what work 
Yeah, and that's the thing that I really like about Smart. I had never heard of it until we met. Uh, actually, it's something that we talked about on our first date because why not get all your bullshit out <laughs> the minute you meet somebody and talk about your addiction recovery? And I know that, I mean, I know that it must have been really hard for you being in a recovery group trying to do this thing that's really fucking difficult and feel like you were being judged. So Smart, smart seems like the place to be. For, for people who don't necessarily ascribe their addiction to a higher power. Yeah, um, I think it is. And it's funny, though, because honestly, when I first started doing recovery, period, it was almost like I was desperate to tell everybody, like, hey, man, this is what I've been doing, because I had kept this massive secret for so long. And, you know, I had hidden it from my parents for forever. Which is wild because um, Rory and his parents are super close. Rory is a classic only child and super close to his parents and lots of everything. And so the fact that you didn't tell your parents about this huge thing, yeah, that's it's kind of how I know how serious it was. Yeah, and, and honestly, you know, I would justify it to myself as, I mean, my dad was going through cancer treatment when I was, I mean, I went through cancer treatment for a very long time. And, uh, I saw it and, and also they were going through financial hardships. Um, I saw it as my problem and I was not going to burden them. That's the way I would justify it to myself. But, you know, the truth of the matter is it was just, it was, I was using that as a way to cope the drinking and, you know, it did what it does to everybody. It just made shit far worse than I ever thought it could be. Yeah. So how have you learned to deal with triggers and temptation and all the things that in the past would make you drink? Well, um, I think that, you know, being able to really know mentally like where, like, because I could feel it starting to come on, like the desire, like a certain behavior, like when I get real down and stuff, but I've learned healthy coping strategies. So one of the things I did when I first really got sober was I just immersed myself in a bunch of different activities, like trying different hobbies. Uh, you know, I started walking a lot and because I was like going out in the woods, being out in nature. So I would go and just walk and explore places around the city. Um, I even got into knot tying for a while, making, you know, like I got on my wrist right now, just, uh, paracord stuff. Um, you know, and that's what I would say for anybody who, if you're first starting out and you're like, what the fuck do I do with all this free time? I'm not fucked up anymore. Well, you know, like, oh, I'm so boring being sober, you know, uh, just try different things. Just any little thing that you think you might be interested in, just give them a shot. If you don't like it, don't do it. You know, you can always drop it and go on to the next thing. But it's learning how to replace that desire to drink with something that is not destructive. Yeah, and I'm sure um, most of us have things that we've always wanted to try. And being an addict and spending half time fucked up, I'm sure that is really overwhelming what you're going to do with all that time. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's something that I think a lot of people you know, uh, don't think about it. it's like, okay, I'm sober now. What it's like, well, okay. You know, uh, I have to figure out, I mean, one of the things I did was, and it was really weird. I, I almost went back to the hobbies I had when I was a teenager, like getting back into the limited amount of, you know, fencing I know and, and throwing axes of <laughs> something I'm, you know, do as a job now. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. And like, walking going out in the woods what i used to do when i was a teen that i really enjoyed and yeah you know it, it it you you really one of the things too i just really really started to see everything that i had lost because another thing i used to love doing was listening to music and watching movies well when i was drinking the only thing that really gave me true joy was drinking yeah is there anything about your recovery like as a whole or the process or whatever like things that you regret doing or not doing over the course of your recovery like do you wish that you had done something differently or 
Well, uh, I mean, other than I assume uh, starting recovery sooner. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, I wish I had started it when I was, you know, in my early twenties. I mean, that yeah. would be great if it had only been just a short amount of time. I don't know, you know. I mean, I yeah, I have regrets, but I just it's something I did, and I just try not to think about the things I can't change. Just cliche as that may sound, you know, it's like I'm 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 not that person anymore. So I really have to keep keep that in mind when I start getting bogged down and like, oh, you piece of shit, you did X Y Z and. You know, um, I just can't, I can't get mired in that. Yeah. And you mentioned, um, you know, when you first started your recovery journey, you were telling everybody what you were doing. Is that why you're so transparent about it now? I mean, like, just in the six-ish months that I've known you, you know, it's something that you've never shied away from talking about with anyone, even like the random pizza shop manager or virtual strangers is that why you're so open about it yeah i mean i I think i'm open about it because it's just i don't feel like it's something i should be ashamed of it's just a part of me you know it's an experience something that i survived is the way i see it it's something that you know i i was fortunate enough to overcome and not succumb to and i don't know i guess it's just the way i see it is i'm not ashamed of it so it's something i express freely and i've personally found a lot of people are um very supportive what would you say to somebody who thinks they may be struggling with addiction i would say really take a moment and think about is this causing problems in my life and if the answer is yes this is causing problems then you i think that's that's your answer and you know, it's it doesn't hurt to sit in on some meetings and see if things click. Other other people's stories and experiences click. Um, you know, one of the cool things that I think about SMART that differs from AA is we allow respectful crosstalk. So, for example, another addict was really downplaying the fact that he had gotten physical with his wife when he was drunk. He had apparently slapped her and he was kind of downplaying it and the some of the people in the group were able to respectfully but convey to him like no man like that's you you did this awful thing and the guy i'll never forget you know he came back and was like total 180 it's like oh yeah i have a problem so is this a guy who came to your meeting with this Casually to see what it was all about and stuff like problem. Uh, well, I can't get into too many details, well, of course, yeah. uh, but let's just say it was not exactly uh, a willing visit. <laughs> Got it. Uh, it was ordered. He was very receptive, and it it clicked with him. And but I would say that I would say just you know if you think you have a problem. And it's and you really look at if it's causing problems, if you're getting into fights with your significant other or if your friends and family are voicing concern, maybe, yeah, really take a look at what you're doing and see if it's, you know, if you're waking up and you got to go to work or you're hungover and stuff like that, then, yeah, you really need to think about that. And I would say, yeah, go sit in on a meeting and see what see what you think. And. If you start feeling like it's resonating, then yeah, you, you probably got a problem. So I am guessing that your group pretty regularly has people who are, you know, new to their recovery journey or maybe haven't even started thinking about recovery, but are kind of putting their clothes in. What kind of stuff can someone like that expect from your group? Like, will they have to talk? their first time is there a requisite like story they have to tell i mean are there requirements someone's first time at a smart meeting what's next um well usually what we do and you're not expected to do anything uh we've had people come in who literally will just sit and listen and that's all they're required to do 
if they want to share, they can share. Um, we also do something where if someone's new, we will ask them if there's anything that they want to talk about for the meeting, anything they need help with, any guidance they need. And if they say they, yes, we will devote that meeting to them and let them tell whatever they want to tell. There's no pressure to tell anything. And, you know, one of the things with SMART is if you do, if you are sober and you have a slip, say, like, you know, maybe you just give in and have that drink that one night. It's not like AA where you have to start over again. And we just call that it's what it is. It's a slip. And, you know, I like that because it's not like, well, now I'm not sober and I'm a failure. No, you're an addict and you had a slip. You fell back on some old behavior. And as long as you're not going back to doing what you were doing, getting fucked up every night. And that's the thing that I, I appreciate about Smart, too, because it doesn't rely so heavily on that kind of shame. I feel like AA can get into this realm where, um, you know, you're praised for or going extended periods being sober, but then there's that feeling of shame and guilt if you do have a slip, if you have a beer, or if you, you're having a really horrible day and you you go to the store and you get it. Yeah, and people in that much mental peril don't need any extra. They feel bad. I, mean, I promise you that if an addict has a slip, they feel bad enough themselves about it they don't need any extra shame and that is something that you know is is a criticism that i've heard from you know other addicts about aa and what sort of you know drove them out of it i've also heard people share my sentiment that it's just too too christian centric it was too focused on and, and not just you know christian centric but a very specific sort of fundamentalist view yeah. of Christianity, you know, and, and this is not just people who went to a couple meetings. I mean, these are people who went to AA, a couple people we I know were there for about 20 years. Oh my God. Okay. So, I mean, this is all stuff I've heard other people say and share. So what was your first smart meeting like? Do you remember? Yeah. Um, it was, it was very inspiring. Um, it was very much like, I remember going to the meeting, kind of being a little, not really knowing what to expect. And I, I was really open and honest. The first, the first meeting, I just told them what, you know, what I was there for, what I had been doing. And I remember leaving that meeting and feeling like, okay, I think this is, this is what's for me. This is, this is what, what I need. Leaving that first meeting, did you have hope that you would actually be able to do the hard thing and, and get sober and stay sober? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, that was the thing at first out of the gate. I thought I'd never touch a drop again. You know, I really did. I, I thought that, but, you know, that's sort of the, the 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 high of when you first get sober is, you you know, I had a desire to drink. But then, you know, things start getting difficult, life happens. And that's the thing that's so great with SMART is it gives you the tools and the coping mechanisms to not fall back on the gold behavior. And that's what I really liked about it was being able to, instead of just be like, oh, I'm, I'm depressed. I'm going to, I'm going to have a fucking drink. I'm going to get the, you know, one of the things we, that, that is focused and smart is, um, the ABC action benefit consequence. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I will, I got to the point where I could stop myself before getting a drink and I'd be like, okay, well, what's the action? Me drinking. What's the benefit? Temporary couple hours of me being goofy and forgetting I hate my life. What's the consequence? Not being sober and doing the same shit and death eventually. Yeah. After the hangover. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you know, it's just it's it's being able to have the tools needed to not just go right back for the bottle, you know. Yeah. So what advice would you give someone who knows that they have a fiction they're scared to see? Oof. Um, I would say that it may be insanely difficult to get help and admit to your loved ones or your friends that you have a problem, but I can promise you they would far rather you do that than keep doing what you're doing and dying because I can tell you, you know, it's, it's, it, you hear some scary stories. Um, you know, there's people who, 
I mean, one of the things that, that's horrifying uh, is is fentanyl. Yeah, yeah. And people doing other substances that everyone is laced with fentanyl. I mean, you know, we there's been people who've come to the groups who they came to that, and it's tragic. You know, you have people in their their twenties who were really desperate to get clean, but they're they're hooked. And you know, I mean, alcohol's bad, but that shit when it gets gets hooks in you, you're you're in you have a problem <laughs> to say yeah. the least. Yeah, I mean, in this is gonna sound terrible, but I feel like in the realm of addictions, I feel like you got you got lucky <laughs> that you 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 were just addicted to alcohol. You were addicted to heroin, or I mean, the there million things that could kill you in a second. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, this is the. The thing that it is, is you're talking about something that has such a hold on a human being that I met people who literally flatlined three times and had to be resuscitated and they still went back and did the shit. Oh my God. You know, I remember uh, watching VH1 back in the day and saying about Motley Crue and listening to uh, Nikki Six talk about his heroin addiction. And he was talking about when, you know, the famous story of when he flatlined and had to get the, uh, Epi pins stabbed in his chest to be resuscitated. Well, after he got out of the hospital, he went back home and shot up again. And that's what he said that he he passed out, woke up, and was like, I can't stop. And that's a scary fucking moment where you realize, oh, I am out of control. Yeah. Are there any misconceptions about addiction that you would like to weigh in on or clear up? Uh, yeah, you know, it's, this is not something that people do because they're lazy. It's not like they're doing this as some sort of a, well, I just want to be fucked up and not deal. They're doing it to usually mask something else, and that is usually mental illness. It's people who are in such pain that's the only way they know how to get rid of it. It's it's a, It's desperation, you know, but that's not to excuse the terrible things because... Yeah, I mean, when you're an addict, you you do really shitty stuff. You know, I I lied to get you know money, and I I lied to the people I love, and you know, it's a real piece of shit move. You know, just know that this is not because this is a bad person. This is because this person is just in so much crisis that they're unfortunately willing to be kind of a terrible fucking human being sometimes yeah and i mean okay so i'm a privileged woman i had an upper middle class upbringing i went to a school in an affluent neighborhood i didn't know anybody who struggled with addiction i mean i knew people who liked to party and i knew people who liked to drink and you know i've known functional alcoholics whatever whatever that means but never somebody who was so deep in their addiction that they were having three-day blackouts or or anything like that. So when you and I met, um, it was a whole whole different thing, very eye-opening. Because I, part of me, did think like, "Oh, he's an addict. Obviously, he's this shit." You know? Yeah. Um, it, I think that's a fairly common misconception among people who don't have an experience. And luckily for me, I was open to learning and being proven wrong. I don't mind being wrong. I'm frequently wrong. Like, when we got to the recording studio today, and I was like, oh, you need to go this way. No, I'm sure. So we don't need to go that way. We need to go this other way. And Rory told me we needed to go this other way. And I was wrong. And I admitted, you know, but about this, I was very happy to be wrong. So thank you for showing me that I was on this hole. I appreciate it. <laughs> Anytime, <laughs> okay. Well, that was it for all the questions that I had wrote down. Is there anything else you'd like to, to say about being a drunk or small? Or, um, this is this is your your show, baby. Well, uh, I will tell everybody you know, Smart does have a website you can go to, they have an application, uh, you can also download to your phone. Um, there are uh, online chats and meetings um also you know check and see if there's one in your area if you just feel like aa is not something you want to do and if that 
is a deterrent for you seeking sobriety, I would highly recommend looking at the smart recovery. You know, it's it's good to have alternatives to things, and and this is the best alternative to AA I've found. But you know, it's kind of it's not it's not really big, at least in Memphis, and it's still growing. Um, so yeah, uh, just check it out if you feel like you know you don't want to do AA, it's not for you, and you want to get a handle on any advice you may have. It's not just for substance abuse; it's for people who maybe. You know, because when we think addiction, we think like substances, drugs, alcohol. But people get get addicted to eating shitty food. Shopping. Shopping. I mean, there's gambling addiction. Any any vice you have, this can help you. And, you know, what's it going to hurt? Get another shot. Yeah. And there's also, uh, so I have the smart app on my phone. Uh, there's also groups for friends and family, just like Al-Anon and... There are groups in Spanish. The The app is actually incredible. It's got tons of resources and meetings. And, um, you know, if you are an addict or you love an addict, 10 out of 10, I highly recommend. This is a great resource. So thank you for being so open and honest and having this chat with me. I appreciate it. You are most welcome. Sorry if I droned on too long for yeah. my first uh podcast well uh hopefully it's not your last because um there's a lot of cool creepy stuff in memphis that we want to do together and you can come back talk to me about it and we can yeah i know i know a bit uh you know there's definitely some some really cool paranormal shit in memphis that yeah. we can talk about lots of other shit that scares yeah. us yeah thank you you're the best happy to be here Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I really appreciate you being here and I hope that you enjoyed yourself. If you did, please consider leaving me a review. It really helps new people find the show. If you'd like to hear more from me, subscribe to the show. I'm here for you every week with more scary shit. You can also follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Scared Me. I'll have my other socials linked in the show notes. So if you're still using the corpse of Twitter or you've moved on to Mastodon, you can follow me there as well. You can also send me an email. Thanks so much and stay scared, y'all.